Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you here this morning uh, to share God's word. Yes, it was it was quite a while ago. Um, it was back uh, between 2006-2007 uh, was the last time that I was here uh, to preach, uh, back when Tony Phelps was the pastor. So I'm thrilled to have the opportunity uh, to return. I love that passage in uh, Scripture where it says that uh, the psalmist says it is better to be uh, to spend one day in the courts of our God than to spend a thousand elsewhere. And I often feel that way about being with God's people on Sunday morning. Uh, this Sunday morning is always a day that I have to be uh, at church uh, because I want to be with God's people. So glad to be here. Um, I, I brought a friend of mine uh, here. Uh, this is called my pulpit chair. It sounds holier than what it's normally called, uh, but I would probably going to need to use that uh, during uh, the sermon, if you don't mind. I stand on the Word of God, but I have to sit when I talk to you about it. Um, so the passage this morning, if I can get my computer to start here. The passage this morning is from the uh, book of John, uh, John chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 29. John chapter 5 verses 1 through 29. Uh, Jesus' ministry in the book of John up until this point has been a lot about him redefining uh, ideas uh, for people. He's wanting to expand their understanding of the nature of his ministry, uh, of God's kingdom, uh, and of God's ways. What is what is it that God is wanting to do among his people? And we see this in the this, this story of the, of the wedding at Cana. Remember, there was those large canisters uh, there that were meant to be for cleaning uh, and for uh, refreshment. But here, Jesus turns water into wine, which anticipates that end-time feasting uh, that we're going to have uh, in the in the new age. Uh, we think of the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Jesus is wanting him to expand his understanding of what it really means to be a part of God's kingdom, rather than the kingdom being made up of of kings and of power and politics. Rather, this is a kingdom uh, where those who come to the Lord by faith are reborn. They're made totally new, right? So Jesus is expanding the concept there. And then the conversation with a Samaritan woman. Uh, she was thinking of uh, the idea of worshiping God as something that was uh, reserved for a particular location, right? For the Jews, it was in Jerusalem. For the Samaritans, they had to do it elsewhere. Um, Jesus is saying, no, there's going to come that day where all those who worship the Lord in spirit you know, are able to worship the Lord anywhere they go as long as they are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus constantly throughout the book of John uh, is redefining uh, concepts uh, for uh, God's people. Now his actions uh, so far in the book of John have been met with a lot of curiosity, uh, but also with reservation. Uh, but the tone really shifts uh, when we come 
to John chapter 5, where uh, Jesus now begins to be rejected, uh, and there is open hostility uh, to what he says. And and when we get to the latter part of John, this the uh, the verses there, especially 19 through 29, you're going to see why it is that they're getting very very upset uh, at Jesus. So for this passage, I've divided it up into three sections, uh, verses one through nine is going to tell us what Jesus did. Uh, Verses uh, 9b through 17 is when did Jesus do it? Uh, And then the last part, verses 18 through 29, why he did it. That's a quality seminary education, uh, dividing that all up for you. But uh, is it your custom normally to stand for the reading of the word? Okay. Well, I plan to read this in three different sections, so I'm going to keep you awake for this service. Okay, so let's stand. We're going to look at the verse. We're going to look at verses one uh, through nine uh, a. And it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roof colonnades, and these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. You may be seated. So at the end of uh, chapter 4, Jesus was in Cana of Galilee, and now he has moved to Jerusalem. Uh, The time frame that separates these two events uh, we do not know for sure, neither, neither do we know exactly what feast uh, is happening here. But it says in verse uh, 2, Now there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Uh, this was in the northern part of Jerusalem. Uh, there there was an open gate in the wall where typically they would bring the sheep in uh, who would be cleansed and washed in order Uh, to uh, be sacrificed. But thanks to the renovations of Herod the Great, uh, this pool had been, uh, you know, made into a whole new place, right? It had uh, five colonnades now around it, one in the middle uh, and one's all around the outside. And here, people would gather, both people who are, you know, curiosity seekers, but there would also be the people who were lame or paralyzed, who were sick, uh, who would come to this pool, this pool of Bethesda, and uh, stay there in the hopes of being healed uh, by getting into the water. And for it's interesting how, once again, you know, archaeology demonstrates and proves that Scripture is true. Uh, 
Uh, it was uh, back in 19, uh, 1888 where this pool had actually been discovered uh, by archaeologists. And back in 1998, my wife and I had the privilege of, of going to Jerusalem uh, for an archaeological study tour uh, and seeing the remains uh, of this pool. But at this pool of Bethesda, uh, which can mean a place of flowing down or the meaning I like better is the house of healing, uh, the sick and the multitude uh, would come in the hopes of being healed. And you're probably asking yourself, how do they think that they were going to be healed by going to the pool? What, what was going to happen? Well, the answer uh, to that is in verse 4. But if you look carefully in your Bible, if you have an ESV, you're going to look in your Bible and there's no verse 4. Right? The reason there's no verse 4 is because in our earliest manuscripts that verse does not appear. But if you have a New American Standard and, and New King James Version, it would give you the explanation in there. Does anybody have that? Does anybody have that version? Can, can you read it for me while I take a sip? So this was a first-come, first-served ministry, uh, miracle ministry. Uh, these people would come, they would stand by this pool, and the hopes of seeing the water stirred, uh, of seeing the angel coming down, taking a dip in the water, and then once that happened, they would seek to be the first to get in there and therefore uh, be healed of whatever uh, disease they had. Uh, it's amazing uh, to what lengths people will go uh, who are longing uh, to be healed of their diseases. Uh, well, on this occasion, uh, Jesus came to this place, a place that the religious leaders would not go. Uh, they would not go there because they would consider themselves to be made unclean uh, being with these people, but not Jesus. Jesus is always willing uh, to go where uh, people are uh, in need of his, uh, of his help. And so he comes to visit one man. Jesus didn't come to visit the many, but rather he came to visit the one. Uh, and he comes to this one man um, and asks him uh, this question, do you want uh, to be healed? Now there's three observations I have about uh, this passage and about this gentleman that Jesus meets. Uh, the first of all is that he had been in this condition for 38 years. He had been an invalid for 38 years. For 38 years he had been coming to the pool of Bethesda in the hopes of being healed. 38 years, that is a very, very long time. Uh, my pastor uh, shared with me uh, recently how it was back in... Uh, December 12th of 1984, uh, that his father came down with some disease uh, that rendered him paralyzed. And his father has been paralyzed for 38 years. Uh, and my, my pastor said ever since he was three years old, uh, he has known of his father being in a wheelchair. 38 years, that is a very, very 
a long time. For most people in the ancient world, uh, they would live maybe 66 years. So here, for this poor man, this is all that he has known for all, most of all of his life. The second thing I, we want, I want to mention here is that Jesus asked this man, do you want uh, to be healed? Um, you know, I, I, in my own condition, I haven't been uh, sick that long. Um, I suffer with multiple sclerosis that I was diagnosed with back uh, March 11th, 2003. So it's been a little bit over 20 years. But I know that if I had been at the pool of Bethesda in the hopes of being healed and somebody came to me and asked me, do you want to be healed? The sinful part of me, the snarky part of me would say, nobody, I'm just here trying to get a tan. Uh, right? But uh, this man uh, does not respond to Jesus like I would have responded uh, to him. Uh, but rather he explains uh, his condition. Uh, and what the problem is. Every time that he sees the water uh, begins to stir, he's not fast enough to get into the water in order to be healed. And so Jesus, uh, after hearing this man, he gives him uh, these instructions, very, very simple uh, instructions. He tells him, get up, take your bed, and walk. What must it have been like uh, for this man? I, I know in my in my own condition, uh, over many years of having to sit more and lay down more, I've lost a lot of my strength in my in my core muscles, right? So I have to regularly do exercises in order to try to strengthen my core muscles. What must it have been like for this man who's been an invalid for 38 years? Just imagine what his what he was feeling in his body as everything is being restored uh, in his muscles and in his strength and his his physique. Uh, and here he is able uh, to stand and to get up uh, and to walk. What an amazing thing uh, this was! What a true blessing here. You know, often uh, in scripture. When Jesus performs a miracle, he's typically responding to somebody who is coming to him with a need, right? Somebody who comes to them and and lets Jesus know of their illness and of their desire that he would heal them. In this case, this man just got picked out of a crowd, uh, and Jesus showed him amazing grace. All right, the second section, you want to stand back up? I'm going, to, I'm going to keep you awake for this sermon. This was all intentional. So, in verses uh, 9b, uh, it says, Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man, said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. 
The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. You may be seated. Usually after I read uh, God's word, I say those words that Chris already said uh, earlier. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God bides forever. Uh, But Jesus' uh, actions uh, here, uh, you know, we see what he did. He healed this man. When did he do it? Oh, the wrong day of the week, right? He did it on the Sabbath uh, day, which seems to be very characteristic of Jesus. It seems like he always uh, is picking a Sabbath day uh, for healing. Um, And so here, Jesus, like I said, had been redefining concepts uh, for God's people. But when it comes to the Sabbath, I don't think he was trying to redefine the understanding of what the Sabbath is about, uh, but rather to recover what the meaning of that day is all about. Uh, Many of the rules around Sabbath observances were ridiculous. Uh, It made no sense. Uh, so much of the work of the religious leaders was making uh, following God and doing his will all about obeying rules and requirements and regulations uh, and restrictions. Uh, and some of their restrictions made uh, absolutely no sense, uh, like in the fact that this man uh, was guilty of carrying his man on the Sabbath, that they took objection uh, to that, I'm like, well, what, what did they think he was going to do? Was he just going to stay at the pool of Bethesda after being miraculously healed uh, and waiting till the next day before he could uh, go home or move? Uh, probably he was just wanting to be out of there, right, and to go uh, to know what it, you know, to walk and maybe even run uh, and go visit maybe family or friends and tell them of this miraculous healing, but. Uh, no, the religious theaters are taking objection uh, to the fact, and uh, and they pin it on Jesus. Uh, it was Jesus' fault that he healed this man uh, on the Sabbath. And so they were making Jesus uh, guilty of this man carrying his mat on the wrong day of the week. Uh, there was probably absolutely nothing that... Uh, that they could have done to keep this man uh, from walking away uh, from the pool of Bethesda. And so they seek uh, to get Jesus in trouble. Jesus did it on the wrong day of the week. And it's so unfortunate uh, sometimes in our pursuit of defending uh, God's word that we miss the larger concept or the larger idea of what God is doing. When you think of the Sabbath... uh, Throughout Scripture, it has many different concepts uh, to it. Obviously, part of the Sabbath, right, is to rest. We are commanded uh, every six days or uh, six days you shall labor, and on the seventh day uh, you shall rest, as it's instructed in Exodus chapter uh, 20, verses uh, 9 and 10. Uh, And so the Sabbath is meant there for 
our time, a time for recovery and for rest that we need. But Sabbath is also about renewal. In Exodus uh, 23.10, it says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Right? So every seven years they were supposed to let their land rest in order that it might be renewed uh, and strengthened to, uh, to continue to produce uh, a, a good crop. We also see that uh, uh, Sabbath is about restoration. Leviticus 25, verses uh, 8 through 10. Uh, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud, sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Right? So you see that Sabbath is not only about rest, it's about uh, renewal, it's about restoration. But most of all, it is about redemption. Uh, it is about the forgiveness of God. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews uh, warns uh, God's people in Hebrews 4, uh, six through nine, he says, therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today saying through David so long afterward, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Right? So as Christians, we anticipate uh, that glorious day of rest that we are going to have, the full expression of what the Sabbath is about. And this is the reason that Jesus is always healing on the Sabbath. For him, he's thinking, what better day of the week to do these kinds of things, uh, to show the full magnitude and the blessing uh, of God upon his people uh, to bring healing to an invalid who had been at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. What better day of the week uh, to do it? Obviously, the religious leaders are not happy. They take a, a exception to it. They question uh, this man who is the man who said to you, take up your bed uh, and walk. Uh, the man says he did not know who it was, but he comes to discover uh, that it is Jesus. Um, and so these men are quite upset. So Jesus has now healed. Uh, what did he do? He healed a man on the Sabbath. Uh, and secondly, when did he do it? On the wrong day of the week. <clears throat> But lastly, we see why Jesus did it. All right, let's stand up for the last section. All right, verses 19 through 29. <clears throat> so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, 
so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Please be seated. So here, uh, Jesus uh, makes some extraordinary uh, claims. And I, I know for many of you, who are Christians, you know, you've heard these things before. You've heard these these uh, comments that Jesus has made, and you readily accept them to be true. But this morning, I, I would encourage you uh, to listen carefully with fresh ears as to what Jesus is saying. You know, soak it in uh, the magnitude of what he is saying in these passages. If you are an unbeliever uh, here this morning, uh, I would also encourage you to listen uh, carefully. Uh, I know many times when I have discussions with people about the Christian faith or about the Bible, they always want to talk about the craziest things, right? They, they want to talk about something in the book of Judges that was really horrible, or they want to talk about uh, uh, Jonah and the whale. Or they want to talk about something else that happened in the Old Testament that seems to be completely unbelievable. And I always say, those things are good, and I'm willing to talk with you at some point about them. But I always start with Jesus. Uh, and So if you are a believer here this morning, I would uh, encourage you to listen carefully uh, to what Jesus uh, is saying. So Jesus uh, makes several uh, comments uh, here. Uh, first of all, Jesus uh, refers to God as his father and himself as his son. He says there in verse 19, truly, truly. Jesus always says this. This is, this is like putting an exclamation at the end of a sentence or you know, writing things in bold when you send a text message, right? You want to get... You want to communicate to the people to listen carefully. So Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Uh, here, Jesus is claiming a personal and familiar relationship with God Almighty. And if you were a person at that time, listening to this man, you would probably think, He's got some loose marbles, 
in his head. Nobody, nobody would talk about God in such a way. Uh, they wouldn't even use his proper name uh, for fear of divine judgment. Uh, rather than saying the name Yahweh, which was God's proper name, uh, they would substitute it with Adonai. And if Adonai was already being used, and they had a, a backup to that, right? Uh, it's like a third string a quarterback. Uh, and then they would use the word Elohim, right? All because they feared uh, of God's judgment. But here, uh, God is speak, or Jesus is speaking of God in such an intimate way, uh, in a very personal way. Uh, that He refers to him as father, and that God referred to him uh, as son. And what a blessing it is for us as Christians, right, that we are now able uh, to refer to God as our father. And we are considered his children. What an amazing and glorious thing, blessing that we have as those who believe. Jesus also goes out in verse 20. And he says, The Father has disclosed all things to the Son. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Uh, here, Jesus claims exclusive knowledge of the will of God. He's, he's saying that it's not that he just knows some of what God wants to do. He doesn't want to know, he doesn't just know some of the divine will. But he knows all the divine will. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. What an incredible statement uh, for Jesus to make. And you can imagine the people at this point are getting incensed at what Jesus is, is proclaiming about himself. You know, probably some who were thinking he... Either this is the real thing or this is a complete fraud, right? Uh, and, and I would just kind of, as I was preparing this passage, I was thinking to myself, what would I have done as a good Presbyterian if I was listening to this passage, if I was listening to, well, if I was like a good uh, religious leader, right? I was going through licensure or something in, in, this, uh, in this group. And I heard this man saying, I would imagine I would, might get a little upset. I, I know a couple of months ago I was watching this documentary on uh, the Waco, Texas confrontation there between the FBI and, and David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. And in the video they had a lot of uh, you know videos of, of Koresh and things he would say. And I remember he was preaching and on this one in this one part, preached from the book of Revelation, but for some reason he mentioned the book of Psalms, and he goes on to, to explain that he knows all of the Psalms by heart. And part of me, I mean, this, this has been over 30 years, right, since this happened. This guy's not even alive anymore. But I was like yelling at the television and saying, okay, let's start. Let's start reading them one by one, you know, and see if it's really true. Uh, so I would imagine that if I was there at this time, I probably uh, would not have been happy with what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is claiming exclusive knowledge of all uh, that God uh, knows. 
And the blessing for us as Christians is that he has now made us aware of it, right? That this is being revealed uh, to us uh, who don't deserve it. Jesus goes on uh, in verse 21. He's claimed his, you know, an intimate relationship with God. He also claims exclusive knowledge of God's will. But he goes on to say in verse 21, the son gives life as the father gives life. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Uh, Jesus is declaring himself to be equal with God. This, this, this is the high point. This is the point where the religious leaders are about ready to go apoplectic on Jesus. He is claiming equality with God uh, in a way that no one would even dare uh, suggest such a thing. Uh, and Jesus tells them uh, that they are going to see even greater works that he is going uh, to do. And certainly uh, he does demonstrate that uh, throughout his life. Uh, there's more healings uh, that he is going to do. Uh, and then we are also going to see the greatest evidence uh, of his power when he uh, is raised, you know, when he is raised uh, from the dead. For the believer, uh, what better evidence do we have to support uh, Jesus' words uh, and the truthfulness of what he says? For the unbeliever, I would say, well, what better evidence or what better explanation uh, do you have for the Christian faith that has revolutionized the world if you still believe that this man was only uh, just some peasant rabbi in the ancient world who was convicted and crucified and is still dead and buried somewhere? What explanation can you provide uh, to explain uh, how much uh, the Christian faith has impacted of the world. Jesus' last claim there uh, is in verse uh, 22. Jesus claims authority to judge uh, that only God has the power to practice. Verse 22, the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Uh, Jesus is declaring that he is going to be the judge of all, and those who fail to listen to him uh, do not honor the Father uh, and will experience uh, the judgment. Um, in my ministry, uh, in 20 years of pastoral ministry, I performed a lot of funerals. Uh, when I first started in the ministry, after I was licensed and ordained, I started a file. Uh, of sermons that I had done or funerals I had done. I looked at it the other day, 62, 62 of them. Um, and it's certainly a, a challenging task. Um, it's, it's also a, a very rewarding one. It's, it's, it's great to be with people at a time like that when they're hurting uh, and to be able to share with them the gospel in the good news of Jesus. Uh, but at the graveside, I would always complete it uh, with a typical uh, admonition um, where I would say uh, to people, as much as it displeases our Lord that we have 
you know, that our loved one here has passed away. Um, we do long for that day when we will see them uh, once again. But I give them that same admonition uh, that Jesus gives uh, uh, here uh, in this passage uh, where he tells them, Uh, in verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death uh, to life. And I speak of those who believe uh, will uh, come before the Lord in blessing, and those who refuse to believe uh, will suffer uh, condemnation. Uh, Jesus uh, is the one uh, who will be that judge. Uh, at the end, uh, and he will declare uh, those who believe uh, to be with the Lord and those who refuse to believe uh, to experience uh, judgment. Uh, what amazing uh, testament, uh, testimony Jesus is declaring about himself. Um, how much do we absorb those things and we trust in them uh, and believe in them? Why, why did Jesus heal this man? It was all to show his power and to show the authority that he has uh, to do uh, God's will. What are some of the applications? Uh, two applications uh, for you uh, this morning. Um, uh, first of all, uh, is... Who is Jesus uh, to you? This is the most uh, fundamental question for you to answer. Who is Jesus to you? Uh, is the Jesus that you have in your mind and in your heart the one that Jesus paints of himself? Is that the Jesus that you worship and that you love and that you follow? Or is the Jesus that you follow somewhat of your own creation or of your culture's creation and not the, the, the Jesus that is revealed uh, in Scripture? Uh, Jesus declares himself to be equal with God. He declares him to be an intimate relationship uh, with God Almighty and that what God says uh, is what Jesus uh, declares to you. Who is Jesus to you this morning? The second uh, application is the gospel is good news to spiritual invalids who are blind, lame, and paralyzed. The reality, people, is that Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda and we're all there. We're all in the same spot. And Jesus has come to us in mercy and in grace and said, do you want to be healed? And for those of you who have accepted Christ and have responded, yes, I want to be healed, he has taken and remade your soul. He's remade your heart. He's, he's removed the heart of stone and a brick and a mortar and replaced it uh, with uh, something that is wonderful uh, and glorious. Uh, what a blessing uh, it is that this is the type of ministry 
that Jesus had to bring healing uh, to those who were in physical need, but most of all to come to bring a blessing uh, in healing to those who are in desperate need of spiritual healing. And that was certainly me, and for those of you who believe in Christ, uh, that is true for you as well. Jesus does return to talk to this man uh, who he had healed at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, he tells him, he's, uh, in verse 14, he says, uh, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Uh, the comment seems sort of strange uh, to us and seems to somewhat contradict what Jesus would say elsewhere. Remember, uh, later on in the book of John, uh, as the disciples had seen the man who was born blind, they asked Jesus, who was it that sinned, him or his parents? Uh, and Jesus said, neither. Uh, rather that uh, you know, this man's illness was all meant uh, to bring about the glory of God. And I think the same thing was happening here. Uh, this this man was blessed with the opportunity to be part of the narrative that declared the blessings uh, of God. But he does tell him that there is something at stake here, right? Uh, what Jesus says about himself is not something that we can just brush aside and not accept uh, and not really uh, absorb. Uh, rather, if we uh, hope to have life with Christ uh, and to be spared the judgment uh, is to accept Jesus and rest upon his every word. And is that your hope this morning? Uh, as you sang this morning, I trusted that it is uh, your hope. Is it your encouragement? May we be blessed with all that God has provided uh, for us, that he has come uh, to bring healing uh, to our hearts and to our souls. Let us pray. Oh, Lord and Father, uh, we thank you uh, for the gift of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for the healing that you have brought to our hearts uh, and the continued work of healing that you're doing in our minds. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would uh, remake us uh, into your glorious image. Uh, we long for that day when we will see you face to face, that we will be in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for eternity. Until uh, then, Lord, may your Spirit be with us, uh, renewing and sanctifying us for your glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen.